United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explores podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest is Elizabeth Feaster, director and founder of T1 International, which started the grassroots campaign, hashtag insulin for all. A registered charity in the UK, T1 International seeks global access to insulin. It is powered by volunteer advocates. Elizabeth grew up in the United States. She's been a type one diabetic since preschool age. She holds a master's degree in international development and humanitarian emergencies from the London School of Economics and Political Science. As a note of disclosure, I am affiliated with the Pennsylvania chapter. Elizabeth, welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you, thanks for having me. So there are a few distinctions about T1 International and the kind of patient organization it is. Maybe you could you could start with that, especially with the funding, which is a really a really interesting distinction. Yeah, of course. Um, so when T1 International was founded, it was founded in for a few reasons, really, in part because there wasn't a strong patient advocacy voice that was independent in terms of its funding. So one of T1 International's founding tenets is that we do not accept funding from pharmaceutical companies or really any other company or entity that might influence our ability to speak out and advocate. Um, many people might have heard about the what is now being called the insulin price crisis in the U.S., and it is a global issue, um, and drug pricing in general is um, really the costs are out of reach for many people. So what, what's important to us is to be independent and to be able to speak out against the high prices without having influence from pharmaceutical companies, um, which unfortunately many, um, well, the influence is, is really strong um, throughout government, throughout organizations, which is part of why the costs are so high, we believe. And I think this is something that that's easy to underestimate because, you know, there are a lot of patient organizations for all kinds of conditions and diseases that do lots of good work, establish a sense of community, help with, um, you know, research fundraising. But when your primary funding sources are pharmaceutical companies, it really does limit the way that you can speak about needs and the way that you can speak about a lot of things. And I think this is this is something that people, it just often doesn't really occur to people, right? Yeah, certainly. I think um, it's easy to think, okay, the pharmaceutical companies who make the insulin that we need to survive um, might be good good partners, or it might be good to be in partnership with those, with those entities. Um, and if you don't think a little bit more deeply and, and get a little bit more under the surface, as you say, it's, um, it, it's, it's not always that obvious to see th their influence, but you know, these, these companies, the three companies, Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk and Sanofi who make insulin that we need to survive, uh, control more than 90% of the market and they make billions of dollars in profit when the cost to produce insulin is only estimated to be about $6 per vial. So um, 
in a capitalistic society, profits do drive things, but these kind of profits are a bit out of hand, especially when, unfortunately, people are dying because they have to ration their insulin. And without insulin, people with diabetes can die within days or even hours. And that's another thing that's that's different here is that it's not like there's um, they're sort of on the way to finding something that will work. But insulin's been around for like a century. Obviously, there are more kind of sophisticated versions of it. But this is also something that's really um, that some people also, I think, underestimate what this means to say. And it used to be more accessible than it is now. Yeah, I think the cost, especially in the U.S., has gone up um, exponentially because the companies were able to get away with it in the, the very complex and broken healthcare system that is the U.S. system. But um, the the companies have also always made maximum profits and from from very early days really wanted to yeah to get as much money as they could from insulin. Um, and as you pointed out, it, it has been around almost almost 100 years. Next year will be the centenary. And um, it's it's pretty abysmal. It's pretty awful that, that people are still struggling um, with this thing that is essential for life. What are some of the partner organizations? Um, this, this is a, a global... Um, organization. What are what are some of the other folks that you work with who also have uh, this particular desire that are really trying to get access as the focus? Yeah. So we do try to um, we work in partnership and collaboration wherever possible. In terms of our global work around the world, there are many individuals and organizations in countries around the world that we collaborate with, whether that's through providing advocacy training and tools and resources to them to fight their own local battles or um, actually partnering up for a project or a program. So the Sony Nebeta Foundation uh, primarily focuses on work in Uganda, but they do work throughout Africa, and we partner with them for what's called the Pomoja Advocacy Project, and Pomoja means together we can. Um, and we train advocates living with type 1 diabetes and help them set advocacy goals, and we're working with um, young people from six different African countries. And then in the U.S., we again, we partner where possible with groups that have similar principles to us, um, the non-acceptance of pharma funds, the belief that in access to insulin and healthcare is a human right. So um, Faith in Healthcare is a group that we work with locally when we do an annual event to bring our advocates together and do a sort of demonstration or event outside of Eli Lilly, which is one of the insulin manufacturers, and they've been fantastic partners to us as well. And so last year, that was um, an in-person vigil and event that was put on by these two organizations. Is there anything planned this year? Because of the pandemic circumstances, of course, are really changing the way a lot of things are planned. Is Do you have something lined up for this year? Yeah, just as you said, the, the pandemic has changed things for so many people. And, and as um we are a patient-driven and led organization. We didn't want to risk bringing people 
with the health condition and obviously um, compromised immune systems together in person. So we will be doing a virtual workshop and a digital demonstration that will be on the 26th and 27th of September. There will soon be more details available on our website, but we're doing two days of uh, virtual sessions, um, really helping people understand the issues around pharma's influence and also bringing in as many different perspectives. We have a, a panel on racial inequities in access to diabetes care and LGBTQ plus conversation um, and how that intersects with diabetes. So a real variety of issues and lots of folks in our community coming together that those will be open to the public as will be the digital demonstration, which will be social media led. Um, and we're still building, building that out, but we will be calling out those insulin manufacturers as we have done historically. Excellent. Um, it, it seems like this, um, these sort of bringing in broader perspective seems to be kind of a hallmark of T1 International, not just trying to raise voices from other geographical areas um, and to really get involved globally in in this access movement but also in the u.s and with all of these these different layers because there are a lot of barriers to misunderstanding what the what the actual problems are and some of the ex things that you just mentioned that you're the particular panels that you're setting up with this event they're really um there is a sense of openness that i have observed in t1 international yeah, uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. It's certainly really very important to us because we uh, want to represent the full diabetes community and what it is. And what that community is, is people from all different backgrounds and, um, you know, people that represent humans all across the board, as you say, whether that's geographical or socioeconomic status. Um, we we want to lift up those perspectives and we want the organization to be driven by the needs and perspectives of those folks, not just um, a certain section of the diabetes community. And I think that sometimes with patient organizations that this happens kind of accidentally, that sometimes um, people are good intentioned and they're not realizing that representation is ends up being very limited. Um, it it happens and I think it's not, yeah, it's something that people aren't always aware of because they're enthusiastic about sort of striving forward and they're not realizing that they can actually be excluding people even though they don't intend to be. So it's it's always good to see examples of, of it really being lived out, the sort of inclusiveness. Yeah. Certainly, I agree. I think and I hope um, more and more organizations will be very intentional uh, and, and about the way that they are inclusive rather than just saying things. And that, that comes back to us as an organization, too. We want to we want to keep doing this. It's not just a one time thing. Um, we want it to be an integral part of our work and of, of who we are as an organization. So, yeah, as I say, hopefully others will will take similar steps because there are a lot of a lot of perspectives out there and a lot of people whose voices need to be heard. Could you talk about maybe a couple of 
I know it's hard to say a couple of the highlights because, of course, I'm sure every week there are both amazing and frustrating things happening um, when you're leading an organization like this. It's pretty incredible and also something that was started because it didn't exist and there was a need for it to exist. Um, looking back over the past couple of years, are there some things that that you could maybe describe as being real, um, just real highlights for you or things that were that you have seen happen or that you have heard that you would would just like to share? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I think it's hard, to, as, as you said, to pick, to pick even one or two specific things. I think um, uh, on a bigger picture scale, we now know that the World Health Organization is taking insulin access issues seriously. And I think that was due to many factors and players, but I do believe that our collective voices as a community have been part of why that is now on the radar in in many spheres, high level spheres and local spheres. Um, so to me, that's just, that's incredible. And there are many sort of individual interactions with advocates, you know, people who despite facing significant challenges still want to push their advocacy forward and understand that this is a sort of long game and it's one step at a time. You know, I can, I can think of, of many people I've spoken to, but I think what, makes me feel always the most excited and just that all of this is worthwhile is that we're trying to show that this is a community effort. There isn't a single hero. It's very easy to point to single stories or create a hero narrative. But uh, for me, and I think for, for the organization and so many folks who are involved in their local chapter or in this movement as a whole, is just seeing that it's about coming together and that change throughout history has only ever happened because people came together. There are people who get picked out as, as leaders or, you know, change makers and, and those individuals have a huge part to play, but it's really about all of us. And that's, um, it kind of ties quite nicely into our workshop theme this year, which is change through community. And, um, just that collective power really excites me. And it's it is interesting that you um, mentioned that because it's true. It, it is easy to sort of pick out leaders. That's there's a certain efficiency to that, right? When we're describing things and saying, "Oh, so and so made this happen," so and so made this happen. But um, it's interesting. Last year in Indianapolis at the at the vigil at the event across from the Eli Lilly headquarters, there was really just this this vibe of um, of solidarity and and even though there was there was a a strength but what I would say is also a sort of good naturedness I don't even know that that's really the right that's not really the right term but this it was an assembly of people that may not ever be standing next to each other again quite in that constellation some of them will right but um, this this sense of a, of a collective, like, we're here, we're, we're putting our bodies here, and we're, we're doing it as a group. Um, I do think that that uh, you, some of these things you can, you can pick up on, if you if you see it, and if you feel it, and you realize that there, it, there is a an intention about a community trying to do 
something positive. And even even through the sense of urgency, there are still ways to do that that are um, that are constructive, right? Um, there's yeah. yeah. And I think we've, sorry if I interrupted, I think we've seen that with, with COVID, you know, with the coronavirus and the impact of that, there were legislative sessions that, that stopped and our chapters work really, that changed some, some of the plans and instead it turned into this real community support um, that that was what was most important at the time and the community was there for each other to check in see how people were doing during isolation and then of course with the with the the huge uptick in black lives matter protesting and the community was supporting each other there to give each other guidance and tips on how to be safe and and things to think about so um that these sort of chapters and these grassroots connections that are being built are are going to create this long-term change that we want to see, but but that underlying support and just keeping each other going is a crucial part of that too. That has been an interesting sort of byproduct of the the strangeness and the the current emergency, hasn't it? Um, mm. Do you have anything else that you would like to say about what it's like to be um, leading an organization in a a nonprofit organization in a time of um, this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, we were in a in a really interesting spot. To be truthful, in that, you know, T1 International was was built from the ground up. I definitely considered a very grassroots organization. But before the pandemic hit, we had, um, after much, much hard work, we had received a grant for two years, which has enabled us to add new team members. So we've just brought on some other members of staff, which is amazing to get some help and support for, for all the work that's going on. Um, so in that sense, we've actually grown amidst the pandemic, which I'm so lucky and, and it's very grateful that we were able to offer people employment during a time when many people's employment was going the other direction. Um, so that's wonderful. But I think um, so that's like, fr yeah, from an organizational internal perspective, and it's enabled us again to hopefully better support the chapter's network and offer them more support and advice for them to then that ripple effect to go out to their members and, and the way that they support their members. But it is always a, a very challenging time and, and just having to constantly, I guess, recenter and make sure that we're providing the best support to the community that we can. And, um, you know, with, with people with diabetes, there's also been a lot of scary headlines in terms of how COVID could impact people with diabetes and, and that kind of guidance. And, um, although we're not a, we're not a medical organization, so we wouldn't offer medical advice again, that, that community support and that just being there for each other has been a, a significant need, which I, I hope we're fulfilling to some degree, but, um, it's been a strange year for everyone. And, um, as we are also a virtual organization, everyone, um, you know, works from their own home or in different parts of the world. It's, uh, it's really been great that we have the, those setups and structures in place, but it's, it's made things, I think, more hectic than ever. Um, but we're, we're glad that we're here and able to, to do what we do. And hopefully we'll be able to keep doing that on into the future until this issue is solved.
<laughs> yes, which the the open ended time frame is of course uh, tricky for everyone, and it's also that you know the the support that you mentioned is really critical when it comes to chronic illness. It's not like um, you know sort of a short drama or emergency, and then it's cured or solved or taken care of. But it's it's something ongoing, so that that support is really tremendously um, important. I think when you have at, when you have a chronic um, illness and or when you are um, living with people that have a, a serious chronic illness. So that's also um, that's also just really, really important to give that sense of perspective and to um, let people know that they are part of this extended community, even even people that are far away. Yes. You've been listening to The Seminary Explores. I'm Katie Giebenhain. My guest has been Elizabeth Feaster, director of T1 International. Learn more at t1international.com. That's T and the number one. Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again. You have been listening to The Seminary Explores, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. Opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.